This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 155 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I want to start off by thanking everyone that's listening, whether you're an ABA fan and you've been directed here from somewhere else for the first time or if you've been a listener since day one, either way, I want you to know that I appreciate you. And speaking of listening, uh, I was chatting with someone that did a collector classified spot for the show not too long ago, and they commented that they appreciated the opportunity but hated listening to their own voice. And I said, trust me, I know that feeling all too well, uh, but it's something that comes with producing a podcast, so it was something I had to get over early on. With that being said, this week's conversation with Scott Tarter was so much fun. I tell you what, I listened to this thing again in editing, and despite hearing myself the whole time, I enjoyed listening to it again. So I can't wait to share it with you here shortly. But first, here's this week's installment of Collector Classifieds. Hey there, listeners. My name is David, a.k.a. Agent Zero Collector on Instagram. Been collecting all things Gilberinus on and off since I was a teenager when he first came to the Wizards in 2003. Collection is currently sitting at 1,530 unique cards with 81 of ones. If you have any rare or hard to find gills, I would love to hear from you. And if you're into seeing cards of the same player being posted over and over again, give my Instagram a follow. Thank you to Kyle for the airtime and all of the work he puts into his show. All right. Well, thank you, David. I think a lot of people forget just how dominant Gilbert Arenas was in his prime. This is a guy that had a couple years in a row where he averaged near 30 points per game. And I would say that was a much more impressive feat in the mid-2000s. Just for a little context, in the 2006-2007 season, the Suns led the league in scoring with a blistering pace of 110 points per game. And only seven other teams averaged 100 or higher. Now compare that today where we have right now just two guys hovering around 29 points per game and then the last place team in points per game, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they average 101 points per game. And keep in mind, they're trying to lose games. So yeah, Gilbert was a beast, so much so that EA even put him on the cover of NBA Live 2008. I know I owned that. I dominated with Jeff Foster on that game in the paint and the spin moves with the joysticks on the PlayStation. Um, Unfortunately, though, Gilbert hurt his knee around the same time and things really tapered off from there. Yes, there were a few other incidents more so off the court that contributed to his fall from stardom as well. But nonetheless, you guys know I love this mid-2000s era of the NBA. It might not be the most entertaining, 
but it's the most nostalgic for me. So whenever I go on David's profile, it's a nice blast from the past. I would love to be able to help him land something rare that he hasn't been able to find before. I'll make sure to share his profile throughout the course of the week. If you got something you feel he might want, feel free to reach out. All right, before I move on and talk about an even earlier era, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep this show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer. Played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, joining me today is someone that you might have heard mentioned all the way back on episode 111 when I chatted with former ABA great Bob Nedelicki. Um, This person has fought hard to ensure that players like Bob get the pensions from the NBA they deserve, and that's in addition to his normal responsibilities as an attorney. Uh, Scott, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. How's it going? It's going great, Kyle. Thanks a ton for having me on your show. Well, um, I've got quite a few things that I want to chat with you today about. Um, We're going to discuss a few of your current projects a little later on, but um, I want to learn more about you first. And I know a lot of your story involves the ABA, which I've mentioned a couple of times here already. And for those of you that are listening, the ABA was a rival league to the NBA in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, the two leagues merged in 1976, although you know, they, it was a merger, but the four teams, you know, the ABA was kind of reduced down to four teams in order to merge. Um, I, would you say that's accurate, Scott? Yeah, I would actually even say, Kyle, it wasn't actually, and this is sorry to be so technical because I'm an attorney, but it wasn't, it actually was not a merger. I mean, we all sort of call it that, and that's how I think of it too, and I describe it that way, but it was, it wasn't a merger. That's really important because what it really was, was an expansion, and the NBA ended up taking in the, you know, the Nets, the Nuggets, the Pacers, and the Spurs from the ABA, and the rest of the league folded. Okay, and and then so everyone just kind of calls it a merger then. That's interesting. Um, well, as you mentioned, one of those teams is uh, the Pacers, which we both love. And uh, you and I chatted some on the phone last week. And I think we determined that you are the reason why I can't find any of this vintage Pacers stuff to add to my collection. Um, hey, sorry, man. Yeah. And you mentioned, though, that you have thousands of cards as well. So obviously, you're a collector yourself. I've got a lot of collectors that listen to this show. Um, I'd love to hear more about you. Can you tell me a little bit about your collecting history? Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up an ABA fan, so I'm a lot uh, older than you, and I might be older than some of your listeners as well, but uh, um, maybe even quite a few. But I grew up in the in the 60s and 70s as a young man loving basketball. I played basketball here in Indianapolis. Um, I played in, in public schools, and I played every chance I got on the playground. And I always pretended I was Darnell Hillman. Um, and if I wasn't pretending I was Darnell Hillman, I was, you know, Mel Daniels in the low post. So I was an ABA guy all the way, and I was playing with the red, white, and blue ball from the time I can remember. And uh, and so when in when Tops came out with the first trading cards that included ABA players, you know I, I lost my mind as a young man. You know that was 1971, 
And it was, I felt like it was about time because the ABA had been, you know, it was going into its fifth season at that point, but they, the tops, you know, tops card company never made cards of these guys until 71. Mm-hmm. So all these incredible players, you know, hall of fame guys from the ABA who were playing in the sixties were never represented in an ABA card. So that's kind of probably what caused me to, as an, when I got older, you know, I still had some leftover cards from when I was young, but then I got older, became an attorney in Indy, met some of the Pacers, became a fan again. And then I started really collecting pretty seriously, probably 10 to 15 years ago. And, um, and Rhett went kind of hard and heavy after ABA related basketball, Indiana sports history. So that would include Indiana professional basketball teams dating all the way back to the days of, you know, the, um, the, the ABL, um, and, uh, and it would be, of course, the, the, uh, the ABA, and then also professional baseball in Indiana back in the 19th century and the early 20th century. Was that the, uh, the Jets? Was that the basketball team? That was one of them, yeah. Indianapolis had a surprising number. Indiana had a surprising number of pro basketball teams. The first team was the Fort Wayne KCs. They, were, they played for the Knights of Columbus, okay. and they, their name got shortened to the KCs. And they were uh, one of the very earliest professional basketball teams in the country. And then we had the Indianapolis Kautskis, who were named after an Indianapolis grocery store owner named Frank Kautsky. And Johnny Wooden played for the Kautskis. And they were a, you know, they were a powerhouse. And uh, Anderson had a team in the NBL. Um, you know, Indianapolis had the Olympians. Indianapolis had the Jets. All of this before the ABA Pacers. Yeah, so we got I- a pretty rich history. I think the Jets were, um, some of them were included in the 48 Bowman set, which is how I've learned a little bit about them. Um, So, you know, oftentimes when people go into their collecting history then, and and you kind of indicated this as well, there are gaps and that's expected, right? Because life gets in the way of hobbies. Um, And and as you mentioned, your work as an attorney has kind of taken your collection to levels you wouldn't have imagined, maybe not in a material sense, but um, in meeting the heroes that you collected that were on those tops cards. So um, yeah. how exactly did that start? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was one relationship that kind of, you know, caused the other ones to come about as well. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of, um, some of my friends call me the Forrest Gump of the ABA now because, because uh, you know, I was a fan when I was a kid, obviously, but then I started doing pro bono legal work for a guy here in Indianapolis named Ted Green, who's a really accomplished film producer. And at the time, he was introduced to me by Steve DeVoe, my law partner, and Steve, Steve's brothers, John DeVoe and Chuck DeVoe, were two of the original owners of the ABA Pacers. So if, hmm. if you carry that, all that karma and cool stuff through, right, I've got a brother of two of the original ABA Pacer owners inter- introducing me to a film producer who was doing the documentary on Roger Brown called Undefeated, the Roger Brown story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the great Hall of Fame ABA player from the Pacer days. And so Ted and I, was in doing some of the pro bono legal work for that great film he did, Ted introduced me to Mel Daniels, George McGinnis, like Leonard, Darnell Hillman, Neto, you know, um, just a ton, Tom Thacker, Billy Keller, um, just a, you know, an, an entire um, heroes list for me when I was a kid. And I had the good fortune to get to know these guys and become friends with them as just human beings and to see what quality people they were. And, um, you know, even to this day, I still find myself every once in a while on the phone with Neto 
I was on the phone with him last night and we're just talking, you know, about kids or in his case, grandkids. And, and, and all of a sudden in my brain, I'm going, but this is Neto. This is Neto. <laughs> <Right. you know? laughs> and my listeners are familiar. Of course, like I mentioned, he was on the show. And then I also had uh, Slick Leonard on for an interview as one point. Right. Uh, I believe Ted made a documentary. Was it Heart of a Hoosier about Slick That's Leonard right. as well? Okay. Yeah. Incredibly good film. Yeah. So some of you that are listening, if you've seen those films, now you can kind of make another connection. Ted's the guy that made those. And then Ted's the guy that um, got in touch with Scott and via some other people. So uh, really interesting to see how all these names really come together. And then, like you said, you met your heroes, which is an awesome situation to be in. Um, Now, it's my understanding then that this work um, you know, whatever legal work or, or however you were um, helping these players eventually led to the creation of the Dropping Dimes Foundation. And that was around 2014. That's right. And you had already been doing, uh, you know, I don't know what the nature of your work necessarily with the players was, if it was personal or if it was um, related to the ABA, but um, what prompted you to kind of take this official, for lack of a better term? That was 100% Mel Daniels. So we would sit in um, Neto's basement or sometimes Neto and I and Mel would get together for coffee or sometimes a beer. And, um, and Mel, who at that time was, a, was, was a, you know, a recent Hall of Famer, should have been a Hall of Famer a lot sooner, but he always had a real chip on his shoulder about the fact that the NBA did, did not and does not include ABA statistics with the NBA statistics mm-hmm. that they you know, profess this to have been a merger getting back to your original question, right? If this had been a true merger, then the ABA statistics would carry through to the NBA, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he didn't like that. And he also didn't like the fact that the NBA didn't provide a pension or healthcare benefits for ABA players. So, um, and then the third thing he didn't like was that the NBA doesn't really celebrate the heritage of the ABA very much. You know, I mean, Hardwood Classics, uh, Mitchell and Ness might come out with a, you know, a cap or jersey line every six years, maybe. Um, they right. might have a throwback game every six, seven years. But if he they can not. monetize it, right? That's if they can the monetize thing. it, exactly. <laughs> and then it goes away for, right. you know, five, six, seven years um, at least. So he, he hated those things. So he's, he really wanted to put a sandwich board around his six foot 10 frame and go, um, go protest at the NBA offices in New York City. And so I would tell him, you know, look, Mel, you don't, you don't want to do that. Let's, let's try the honey approach versus the vinegar. So that then led to, well, what can we do? Did some research, thought, well, we can form a charity. Ted then introduced me to a benefactor of his for his films named John Abrams, who was an ABA ball boy in the mid seventies. And he's an eye surgeon in Indiana and the current eye surgeon for the Indiana Pacers. And when John and I met, I floated the idea by him and that's, that's how we, we, we formed together. We co-founded the Dropping Dimes Foundation in 2014. But it all came from Mel Daniels. So that would be the gentleman that I met at the National this year, I think, when yes. I was looking for you. Okay. That's him. So, so a lot of my listeners have, um, have been to the National or are planning to go to an upcoming National. So um, you've been to multiple National conventions as well, I'm assuming. Yes, they're fun. Okay. They're so fun. All right. So you started this Dropping Dimes Foundation. And um, I think the first article I remember, you know, you mentioned pension, but it it goes beyond that because you're doing some things really just to give players their sense of dignity. 
Um, I remember, and unfortunately I can't remember the player's name, but you guys going with Mel Daniels and shopping for a a player to get a suit that he could wear to church, just the little things that, you know, we don't think of, um, but kind of help to humanize people. Can you tell me a little more about those types of things as well? Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was Charlie Jordan who played for the Indiana Pacers and was a legend in the Euro league, um, by the way, Um, once scored 52 points for an Italian league team in a in a um, league that did not have a three point shot. So can you imagine mm-hmm. that? But, um, but yeah, so Mel really, you know, generated this idea of we've got to help the ABA players because they haven't been taken in by the NBA. They haven't been provided benefits and they believed back at the time of the so-called merger that they were going to have healthcare benefits and, and pension benefits. And um, so when we formed Dropping Dimes, the very first player we had a chance to help, you know, we were sort of getting the word out that we were here, we're a 501c3 tax exempt uh, charity and that we wanted to help players out. And the first guy we heard from, we actually heard from um, a, a family member was Lonnie Lynn, who was a journeyman in the, in the ABA. Um, but unfortunately, what we, what we found out at that time, very first person we helped, tried to help, was that he was in hospice in his apartment, that he, he was a, it was a terrible situation. He um, couldn't get any cleaning services. He was, he was you know, literally dying um, in very squalid conditions. And by the time we tried to jump in and figure out what we could do, it was really clear the only thing we could do was get a message to him quickly that his ABA brothers were thinking of him. And so that's what we did. We quickly sent a, my son out around to get as many signatures on a card as we possibly could. We overnighted it to Talani, and, and I'm told he got it and read it literally hours before he died. Um, then Charlie Jordan was the next, and, and the only thing he wanted was a, was a suit so that he could go to church. And he was in a Medicaid-funded nursing home, and he's still there today. And he, and he just wanted a, you know, a suit. So you know, we took him to the big and tall store, and Mel personally fitted him for a suit and socks and a whole bunch of other things, shoes, and we got him all set up for church. Now, we've grown a lot since then, and I'm proud to say we've helped a lot of players with a lot of things. I mean, at this point, we've helped with rent um, money. We've helped with security deposits on new home, new, new um, housing apartments when people, when people were um, about to become homeless. We've helped with medical bills. We've helped with surgeries. Um, we have helped with, um, unfortunately, with funeral expenses, you know, for players uh, who didn't have, have money on their passing to take care of their own funerals. So we've done we've done some pretty neat things, and we've only been able to do that with the help of the ABA Brotherhood. In other words, Mel immediately started picking up the phone and calling Ice Gervin and Julius Irving, and uh, and Neto Licky did the same. By the way, Neto was unbelievable. He was relentless, calling Spencer Haywood, Artis Gilmore, Dan Essel, Louis Dampier, Bob Costas, Reggie Miller, and getting all these folks to join our advisory board. And when they joined, right then. John and Ted and I, who were the board members, um, we could have never done anything like this without those guys. But when, when these guys joined, that gave us a tremendous ability to raise money and raise, raise the profile of the foundation to help more people and to get right into the fray of the pension fight with the NBA, which we did. I think you might have kind of answered this indirectly in there, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think some people might ask, you know, why do these players need a pension? You know, mm-hmm. they, they might say, well, you know, people are mismanaging their money or this or that. So in your opinion, why should the NBA extend this? What some would say is a courtesy and what others would say is rightfully theirs. Mm-hmm. 
I think, and that's a great question. And I think there's a multifaceted answer to that. And that is, first and foremost, I always tell people, you know, we all have our thoughts about we can't help everybody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, who's who's to say that pension rights for ABA players could possibly be as important in a big scheme of things as childhood leukemia? You know, finding a cure for childhood leukemia or cancer. So they're they're always really important things that are important to each one of us individually. But um, in this particular case, the reason it became super important to me and the right thing to do is because these guys were really taken advantage of. I mean, they were part of a league that brought the three-point shot, um, a very fast up-tempo style of play, the slam dunk competition, um, you know, pure uh, athleticism, the hardship rule, um, where players come directly out of college or after one year now into the NBA. You know, all of these things um, come directly from the ABA. And, And so to see these guys who brought that style of play into the forefront and who really changed the way professional basketball is played today to see them at the end of their lives, starting to wonder, wait, back in 1976, I was told that this was a merger and I was told that I would have a pension. Mm -hmm. And I see why they were told that. I mean, I've read the legal documents that were involved and what the people who were doing that deal at the time, the NBA and the um, ABA lawyers Um, and the business folks, what they were trying to do really was pay off the owners of the kernels and the spirits to go away because the NBA didn't want them, extract a bunch of money from the Pacers, the Nets, the Nuggets, and the Spurs, and get the highest level talent like the artist Gilmore's, the Julius Irvings, the Dan Issels, get them into the end, and the George, the Ice Curvins, get them into the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. While they were doing that and taking care of all of those people, Somebody at one point just said, well, let's just say the pensions, the deferred compensation, the player contracts for the old ABA players, let's just put in our agreement that the ABA is responsible for those. And and that's what it says. It says the ABA is responsible for making sure that they receive pensions equal to NBA players. Well, you know, less than a year later, obviously the ABA literally dissolved and went out of business. So I look at that and I say that that's a group of people that got taken advantage of. I mean, those are young mm-hmm. men who, who were told something and sold a bill of goods that wasn't true. And, um, and, and it's just not fair when you look at the relative contributions they made to today's game of pro basketball and what they were told at the time and the toll that pro athletics, pro basketball takes on your body. And, you know, it, it's just not, it's not right. You know, we don't ever mm-hmm. think it's more important than, curing cancer or, but it's not right. And those guys remember got paid much less than today's player, much less than today's players. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones who are responsible for the amount of money that today's players make. You know, when you, when you had two competing leagues, that was the first time that players in both leagues were able to leverage offers from competing leagues mm-hmm. and the salaries skyrocketed during the time of the ABA. When I say skyrocketed, I mean, Mel Daniels was making $15,000 a year, right? <laughs> right? His first year in the league. So everybody needs to keep in mind the money, you know, there was no internet. There were no, there was no streaming. I mean, the gate receipts and the program sales and merchandising was the only way to pay players. So these guys are getting paid no more than an average job that you or I would have had at that time. Right. And, so that's and even one. the Pacers were one of the more stable franchises oh. and, you mentioned the, the league dissolved. It seems like from everything I've read, they were always on the fringe of dissolving, even right yeah. from the inception. 
They were, but the, but the reason, even the reason that is, is because the NBA had the TV contracts. Yeah. The NBA had the talent, but they didn't have the revenue from the, from the television contract. Right. So you, you brought money up, which I think is important. And it's definitely something that matters here. Um, have you, and I'm, I'm assuming because you're the attorney that's handling, a, well, I would assume all of this or the bulk of it. Have you come up with the figure that you're wanting from the NBA and are you at liberty to disclose that? Or is that, I don't want to ask anything that's out of line here. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking it that way because I'm, um, you know, I'm doing the, the legal work is all being done pro bono for the foundation. And then I'm, I'm heading up our negotiations on behalf of the foundation, not as a lawyer, even though I can't take that hat off really, but I'm, I'm really, I'm really going to the NBA because they don't have a true legally enforceable obligation. What mm-hmm. they have, in my opinion, is a moral obligation um, and a business obligation um, that stems from a whole lot of things we've talked about. And so when I go, when I've gone to them, I've my, the suggestion is why don't you do for the ABA players, what you gratuitously did for the pre 1965 pre-collective bargaining agreement NBA players because because the pension that the NBA gives to its players only came into being with the CBA in 1965. So the guys who played in the NBA before that didn't have pension rights. Mm -hmm. So the NBA said, hey, that's not really right, even though they had no legal obligation and these guys were never promised a pension. The NBA said, let's give them $400 a month for every year of play for the rest of their life. So that's what that's the number we came up with. And we said, OK, we've got 140 living ABA players who would have played three or more years in the league. So that's the, that's the minimum vesting for NBA purposes. If you give them the same amount of money, four hundred dollars a month, you know, you're going to have obligations anywhere from twelve hundred a month for three year guys to thirty six hundred a month for nine year guys. There's only six of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the length of the time the ABA existed. So you know, all told, if you kind of get into the geeky actuarial numbers, you know, it it sounds like a lot because over the time that they have left, that could be in the 28 to $35 million range. But Mm -hmm. when you think in terms of the NBA, you know, that's not even enough. That's not even a footnote on their financial statements. Well, and and I know, you know, it's probably not your place to um, suggest where it comes from. And I'm not asking you to do that. But it, it, it did get me thinking today, I, I was crunching a, a few numbers here. Uh, we got a guy like Ben Simmons, who, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to criticize him, but he is, he decided he didn't want to play. Um, he incurred like 20, I think up to $20 million in fines from it now from the franchise, not from the league. But if you take that $20 million and divide it between 150 players, I think it was something like $133,000 a piece. Yeah. And, and that's all from just a portion of a season. Um, not cool. to say that's where that money should go, but you know, maybe that's an idea. No, you're on the right track. I mean, from my standpoint, I do remember at one point, maybe a year ago, I remember doing the research and, and uh, you know, Ben Simmons is a perfect example, but, but the, I think the NBA averages between 200 million and $300 million in fines per year. That's player fines, coaches, fines, staff, owners, you know, but you've got a pool of 200 to 300 million in fines. And I learned that they take half that money, at least as of a year ago, they took half that money, went to the National Retired Players Association, which is the retiree group that supports NBA, mm-hmm. you know, former NBA players. And the other half goes to charity. 
So I did mention that to the NBA. I'm saying, you know, guys, I mean, you've got 100 to $150 million going to charities of your choice each year. Couldn't we take 25 of that Mm-hmm. and or 28 or 35 of that and completely cover these ABA guys for a, a one-time thing even not even one time, every one year, year. Yeah. yeah just one year wow and I mean were they receptive to that or for a lot of reasons that would bore you and your listeners there's a whole bunch of reasons <laughs> why right in a huge bureaucracy like that that I was told that that's not you know there's a whole bunch of reasons why this money has to go here and this one has to go here and that it's it, and then I was told it's easier for us just to think of this as a separate you know and so it's been and you know I think it's going to happen Kyle, yeah. I think they're going to do it. Okay, so well, that's a good segue here because um, I mentioned that uh, I had talked to Bob Nedelicki on this show, and um, it was actually I, I think it was the um, several days before Slick Leonard passed away. So there there was just a lot going on then, and um, he mentioned that you guys were really close to securing those pensions, or at least you thought you were, and yeah. that was about ten or eleven months ago. And I know the word "close" is relative, and and in the legal world, yeah. I'm sure it's you know time is yeah. who knows. Um, so I haven't seen any confirmation since then, though. So I know you're the guy to ask, and I got you here. So I got to ask you: um, Is are there any updates that you can share? Um, just we are we've now we've agreed in principle. You know, dropping dimes in the NBA have agreed in principle on. The fact that it should happen, the fact that the NBA wants it to happen, um, I, I, I have to go just a tiny bit short on saying that they're going to happen because nobody's told me specifically. But in the conversation I've had, the conversations I've had with them, it's very clear that they plan to do something. And we've agreed on player eligibility. We've agreed on program details like you know the $400 a month. Um, we've agreed uh, eligibility to forever to go through records and to sort of agree on on that the buckets of players who would be eligible um, and to confirm who's alive can we reach them and all that's done now so i think we're literally at the time from the dropping dime standpoint where we're just waiting for Hmm. the nba to send me an email or call me go call me and say hey we're announcing we were hoping it would be this weekend in cleveland but oh wow yeah losing hope every day now and you did that legwork for them right i mean they didn't have to track a single person down no that's true Although they probably, you know, some of these guys played a little bit in the NBA. So in fairness, mm-hmm. out of our list of 140, they probably could have reached half of those guys on their own. Yeah, I think I remember seeing you know, some guys that actually played one more year after the expansion just to in order to be eligible for benefits of t- some type. At least that's what I'd heard. Yeah, they would have now they would have had to have played three years to actually be eligible. But yes, okay. I agree. I mean, a lot of times it was just whatever they could get you know, mm-hmm. to stay relevant in the minds of the NBA. Now, um, you started the Dropping Dimes Foundation and you've been, you know, really initiating a lot of this stuff and you've started another company since then. We were chatting about it earlier this week. Um, can you tell us what the name of that company is and then uh, what your intentions were with that as well? Yeah, yeah, that goes back. Thanks for asking about that, Kyle. That goes back. So Dropping Dimes is kind of rolling along. We, you know, we put on the 50th anniversary of the ABA in Indianapolis our advisory board member, Bob Cassis, is amazing. And he, and, and he came and, you know, on his own time, he emceed that event. You know, Rick Berry and, and, and Julius Irving and all the greats were there. Issel and Artis Gilmore, you know, George McGinnis, um, is, uh, Louis Dampier, everybody showed up, Doug Moe. And, um, and we really were, were really doing well. The pension discussions have been going well. But the one thing that the players have always um, had a bad feeling about going back to Mel was why doesn't the NBA ever market us 
you know, as, 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 as some kind of heritage of theirs. Mm -hmm. And why doesn't anybody care enough about us to merchandise ABA material? I mean, Panini comes out with what, a couple of trading cards every year that are ABA based. Yeah. Um, and it's dwindling. It's dwindling. And, um, and there's no merchandise you can get, you know, you've got a shirt on and that's great from a day, but that's, 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 we were talking off air that that's probably what would you say 12 years old? Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that are, they're listening, I'm wearing an ABA shirt and I told him, I said, I know you're probably not going to like this because I know they didn't get any money for it. <laughs> well, we, we, I just decided, you know, I went and I talked to John and Ted, the two, my two fellow, you know, board members from dropping dimes. And I'm as a lawyer, I was just getting mad about this. And I was saying, well, why don't we do it? We'll merchandise ABA. Um, but we can't do it through dropping dimes, of course, because it's a charity. And mm -hmm. so you don't risk any money that was donated to a charity to start a venture like this. So I had to form a new company. Um, John and Ted didn't want to necessarily get involved in that. They're supportive of it, but they didn't want to necessarily get involved in it. It, it you know, it, it, it has some potential legal issues involved with it. And, um, and then also, you know, it's going to take some money to get it going and I'm crazy. So I started a company and I named it after my often eccentric mother. Her name was Lana Cartwright okay. Tartar. And so I called it Lana Sports. And we, that entity then filed all of the trademark registrations and applications for the ABA logos in China, um, in Europe, and here in the US. And most importantly, I think, filed the design patents for the ABA basketball and um, the trademarks for the ABA basketball. And, and are bringing that basketball back. Hmm. So we did a, our first project while we were doing all the legal stuff related to the ball was to do a first year ABA um, um, commemorative set. And the first time I ever had a chance to put together real trading cards, you know, so it was so exciting and so much fun. We used a local artist to do caricature drawings of every single first year player in the ABA. Um, those are, um, you know, I know your listeners aren't gonna be able to you know, to see the uh, images, um, I'll show you here just as a teaser to the people who are listening. But, you know, we did um, sort of these, these hand sketched um, caricature cards and put a ton and I mean, honestly, a ton of time into researching every single player to give relevance to every guy who played even just a minute that first year in the ABA. 166, I think it was, men who played at least a minute that first year. And we put a first-year player autograph card in every set and five parallel cards. And it was so fun as a collector to actually put together a real set of cards. And uh, those are still on sale at lanasports.com. Okay. Um, we only made 750 of them, and we don't really market them. I think we're down to 300 boxes at this point. Um, but uh, those, are, those are available for sale. Then we moved to the ABA basketball, and we have those on the website now. Um, and those, uh, that basketball is so cool. These guys who are involved with dropping dimes want to be involved as well. So Julia Serving agreed to be a brand ambassador for us and the ABA basketball. Um, Ice Curvin did the same. Um, Rick Berry has done the same. Larry Brown, um, Spencer Haywood, George McGinnis. I mean, these guys have just been phenomenal in supporting this because we're bringing it back. And the promise from Lana Sports is, we donate to Dropping Dimes Foundation and we create revenue streams for ABA players, not the ones who can get them anyway through Panini or the NBA or Converse or other deals. Those are, there's only a handful, but they, there's some mm -hmm. who can. Oh, yeah. The, they recycle the same player. They do with yeah. the NBA too. It's the same players again and again and same again. Ones. 
but the ones we wanted to really help and Julius and, uh, and, 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 you know, Ice Gervin and these guys all love this idea, but we, and Rick Berry, we want to help the guys who don't have that same name recognition, right? So mm-hmm. we want to create revenue streams from trading cards, basketballs, ABA merchandise. And if we can, you know, if we can turn a profit, then first, whether we can turn a profit or not, quite frankly, money's going to go to dropping dimes. If we can turn a profit, then we take care of those guys. In addition to donating to Dropping Dimes Foundation, we want to create revenue streams for the players who don't get these types of opportunities very often. You guys managed to do something I don't think the ABA themselves did. Uh, for what I understand, they never patented the red, white, and blue ball and probably lost a lot of money there. Yeah, they probably did. There's a famous lawsuit out there that was brought by the ABA against Voight because Voight came out with a red, white, and blue ball during the time the ABA was in existence. And the ABA, and it might have been George Mikan at the time, but they sort of went after Voight, sued him, and said, hey, you can't, you can't make a red, white, and blue ball. That's us. And the court, and this is still the law today, the court said, well, you can't patent colors. So we aren't, we aren't actually saying nobody else can make a red, white, and blue ball. But we are saying we did file the design patents and the trademarks on all of the designs around the ball. So it's the, you know, the RSS official text on the ball, um, the American Basketball Association logo. Everything is an actual identical replica to the original. The only thing missing is the word Rawlings, mm-hmm. right? But, in, but other than that, it's an identical replica to the original ball. And that you can protect legally. Now, one, uh, maybe one... Uh, not predicament, but one issue you might have had is that uh, there's always a commissioner's name on that basketball, <laughs> be it George Mikan at the start of the league, or I think Barb, Bob Carlson, uh, maybe Dave DeBusher, I think at Dave one DeBusher. point. Um, well, you know, there's no acting commissioner of that league. And you guys came up with a creative solution. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, because at one point, because we were thinking exactly that, Kyle, we were thinking, you know, I was thinking, you know, what do we do there, right? Do you try to reach out to the estate of George Mikan or um, maybe, you know, the, the estate of, of Dolph or Carlson or DeBusher um, or St- Mike Storen? That's and, right. That's another one. Yeah. Then I started thinking, you know, wait a minute, Slick Leonard one time was actually when he and I were, we were playing cards, um, playing uh, poker. And he told me the story of Slick Pinkham. And he was really, so Slick was mad at the end of the 1971 ABA draft because they had a championship caliber team. They had picked up George McGinnis from IU, future Hall of Famer. And they picked up Darnell Hillman from San Jose State. And so they added those two guys to a championship caliber team. And yet under the ABA rules, he was still drafting in the 17th round. And, you know, Slick being Slick, he was pissed off. And so he refused to make the final choice in the draft. It was the Pacers, and he refused to make it. And his lawyer, Dick Tinkham, was there. And the lawyer said, you know, look, you have to. We're going to get fined, yada, yada. And so Slick said, well, put in the name Slick Pinkham, (laughs) which is a combination of him and Dick Tinkham, right? He's like, just say it was Slick Pinkham. And then the lawyer, I guess, was saying, you know, well, yeah, but Nobody's heard of him. He said, well, say that he's from DePaul University, a small division three school in Indiana, and say that he was a red shirt. And so that's what they did. And so it happened. So the, you know, like in true ABA fashion, if you look up the official APBR records for the 1971 ABA draft, Slick Pinkham is the final selection officially, <laughs> even though he never existed. So yeah, we made yeah. him our honorary commissioner for the ABA ball. 
And I actually looked up an article this afternoon in the New York Times that mentions that draft pick as well. Um, Didn't know it wasn't a real person. I mean, they mentioned it as if, you know, it was any other person that was drafted, which I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Any other products that you might be coming out with soon that you want to talk about, or maybe there's still some secrets. I'm super excited about the next product that's coming out. There's a whole stack of them right in front of me right now. But um, so I'll tease your listeners the next week, starting the 21st of the 22nd, we're going to release our first true um, serious effort at trading cards. So that first one was a serious effort, but we really just wanted to make sure we commemorated every single player. We did it in character form because we had trademark issues and copyright issues and, and, you know, very limited run. But next week we're going to come out with our first, I'm so, I'm so proud of these things. They're wax packs. And they're just like the old school wax packs. So they have a stick of crappy gum, you know, with the confectioner sugar on them, like we chewed when I was a kid in the 70s. Um, it's in a separate package, so it doesn't mess up the cards. Um, the wax packs are just first rate in terms of graphics and design. The cards um, are, are um, cards of the top 30 ABA players in history, only the top 30 players. And the card images were um, our oil paintings that were done by a very accomplished artist in uh, Canada uh, named Richie Jacobson. And they were actually the idea of of Richie and another fan, an ABA fan who approached us and said, why don't you do a top 30, um, a guy named Rick Hines. And uh, we just loved the idea. And we said, I'll tell you what, we're going to do that. We know all the players. The players are going to do it. Julia Serving is behind it you guys came to us first and said, we well, do the top 30. So anytime we get a chance, we're going to say Rick Hines and Richie Jacobson were the guys who wanted to do it. And they're, they're awesome. And there's, we couldn't put an autograph card in every pack, but there's a, a one in six chance that you will pull a on-card um, original autograph from a top 30 ABA player. And that could be coming, that could be Rick Berry. It could be Daryl Carrier, the top three point shooter in ABA history. George McGinnis, another Hall of Famer. Um, it could be a, uh, Louis Dampier, another Hall of Famer. Matt Calvin, Jimmy Jones, a six-time All-Star, or Bob Nedelicki. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I saw, I think it was teased somehow. I saw a Rick Berry image floating around. And I thought, man, these, these look pretty good. I think I might have to grab some of those. Um, I'll be sure to post some of this stuff up for my listeners as well on uh, social media. Um, now I, I do have to ask because it seems like you're so close to getting the pensions and that was one of the driving forces behind everything that you've done. Um, what happens when, you know, if we'll, we'll say when we're going to hope yeah, that it happens, what happens when you get that pension? I mean, is dropping dimes done or, or, you know, where do you go from there? No, that's a fantastic question. Again, I used to say, you know, years ago when the the pension seemed more like a pipe dream, I used to freely say on podcasts and otherwise that my goal as co-founder and CEO of Dropping Dimes is for Dropping Dimes to go out of business because I was making the point that you just did. I said, if we could just ever get the NBA to take care of these guys, we won't be needed anymore. Mm -hmm. But the reality is 140 living guys would qualify for the pension. We think it's going to happen. Um, but there are still another 200 living former ABA players who didn't qualify. They didn't play okay. you know, the three full years in the ABA. And not only that, but some of these, play, you know, it's fantastic and life-changing for some, 
but some are in tough enough circumstances that if they get $1,200 a month, that's not going to take care of their $60,000 in medical bills, you know, and it's not going to take care of the horrible housing situation they're in or, 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 or put food on the table. So we're definitely going to be needed by those guys for a while on both of those fronts. And then we also want to come out with some scholarships to keep the heritage of the, the, remem- the remembrance of the ABA alive. So we gave already a $2,000 scholarship to uh, a kid that was playing basketball at Pershing High School in Detroit. Um, and we gave that to him in honor of Mel Daniels. We'd like to do that with some more deserving kids who show, you know, not just athletic ability, but strength of character, right? Like Mel had. Well, that's awesome, Scott. And, um, you know, just know that I'm rooting for you and I'm going to do what I can to support you. I'm going to be picking up some merchandise. I'm going to be spreading the word uh, and encouraging others to do so as well. Scott, we could talk for a long time here, but I I know you've got a, a busy work life and I've really enjoyed our chat today. Um, I hope that in some way it is helpful for your cause. Before I go, I want to give you the opportunity to plug if you got any social media you want to plug or anything else that you want to mention here in these final moments. Uh, these next few moments are yours. Thank you very much. We're just getting to the point where we actually have a digital marketing guy and he's going to lose his mind if he ever hears this because he's going to say, why didn't you know the handles? Well, we, we now have we have an ABA Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Um, Atlanta Sports Facebook page. We have Atlanta Sports Instagram, and we have Atlanta Sports um, Twitter account. Okay. Um, so if if somebody searches, I think it's Atlanta Sports Group on Twitter, and it's Atlanta underscore Sports on Instagram. I think those are okay. right, or maybe I'll, I'll do the legwork. I'll make sure it's posted up. Thank too. you. <laughs> <laughs> we have them out there somewhere. I don't know how the hell heck to use them, but they're out there somewhere. Right. All right. Well, thanks again, Scott. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on when that pension finally comes to be and we can celebrate a little bit. That would be fantastic. You have to promise me if we do that, we can either have a glass of champagne or a beer in our hands when we're talking. (laughs) All right. That sounds good. Thanks again, Scott. Take care. Thank you, Kyle. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to take a few moments here before I sign off to try and emphasize once again, the importance of supporting a cause like this. Maybe you're listening today and you've never heard of the ABA, or maybe you've heard of it, but you've never been all that interested in it. You know, I can't force that on you. That's fine. But I will say, if you've enjoyed the NBA in any capacity in the last 50 years, you have to understand that the ABA was, at the very least, a formative influence of the game we have today. And I think a lot of people fail to recognize the fact that our entertainment and all of these escapes that we find for ourselves, they come at a cost. And yeah, sometimes they might cost us a little bit up front, but I think a lot of the time the expense uh, in the long run is at the artist or the player or whoever the subject is that's creating. And as Scott explained, some of these former ABA players are really struggling right now. And it would be nice if the NBA could step in and provide some help, but just know there are avenues where you can step in and lend a hand as well. I've donated in the past, and I'm going to keep a close eye on whatever future offerings are presented by Scott and Atlanta Sports. I encourage you to do so as well. Uh, I'll make sure to post all the appropriate social media handles over the course of the week, and be on the watch for that on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast, or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site which is waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, 
and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>